Today's reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, commencing at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live in your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes your captive through your philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to this fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, raising the record that stood against him with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authority and made a public example of them, trying triumph, triumphing over it. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, some of you might be a member of a book club where a book is selected each month and you have a deadline to read the book before you meet to discuss it. And my friends who do this are often late, up late really, the night before the meeting, just frantically trying to finish the book. Or maybe you have an essay to write for school about a book or a play. And you're wondering how you're going to finish reading the book or play before the essay is due to be handed in. Well, in either situation, you might resort to watching the movie or you look online for a brief, brief synopsis of the book or play. Now, reading the synopsis isn't as good as reading the whole thing because you miss out on seeing the whole picture. But sometimes it can help give you an overview that contributes to your understanding of the book or play and helps you understand the main themes. Well, we're currently working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and verses 6 and 7 are effectively the synopsis of this book. Paul reflects on what he has shared in chapter 1 about Jesus, namely that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then introduces the letter that, in the teaching that he will expand on in the rest of the letter, what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Well, this is significant for each one of us. 
Many of us have been baptized. Or you may currently be thinking about getting baptized as we prepare for our service of baptism and confirmation in June. When it says, just as you received, in verse 6, it's not referring to receiving teaching about Jesus or reading God's word or acknowledging tradition or believing. This word receives infers that we have believed in Jesus, but also that we've made a commitment. This commitment is reflected in our baptism. So it's effectively saying, just as you were baptized into Christ. But when we receive or are baptized into Jesus Christ the Lord, what are we saying? We're making a confession of who we believe Jesus to be. As we've seen over the last few weeks, he is the image of, the, of God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the head of the church, the reconciler between mankind and God. He is the mystery of God. And in him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is summed up in the confession of Jesus Christ the Lord. In this, we acknowledge that Jesus is God, that he was before all time, that he is the Messiah, the one who reconciles us to God, that he's the hope of glory, that he is the Lord over our life. Our understanding of who Jesus is and our relationship with him is fundamental to our continuing to live our lives in him. It's this Jesus who we met and who we decided to follow. It's this Jesus who we declared at our baptism or will declare at our baptism that we turn to, rejecting all that is evil. Being baptized isn't the end of it. It's not a magic panacea that suddenly enables us to live perfect lives. Paul exhorts us to continue living our lives in Christ. We are to walk in Christ, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as we have been taught, all the while abounding in thanksgiving. All of these things are possible in Christ. His spirit enables us to do these things. Now, in the Anglican tradition, Confirmation is when you confirm the promises that have been made on your behalf by your parents at your baptism. When you take those promises to be your own. I was brought up in the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, and we had a similar thing where we professed our faith publicly as we made our own confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a young teenager, I made this public profession of faith. And my minister blessed me with these verses from uh, Timothy's second letter, chapter 1. I remember the sincere faith you have. Keep alive the gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Well, I asked him to write it down for me afterwards, and I still have the card. And the really cool thing about that is that it reminds me 
any time that I'm feeling that I'm wavering a little bit or that something is not going quite right, I look back on those verses and they're reminded of the commitment that I made, but also that God is with me as I seek to honor him in living life with him. This verse reminded me that whilst I'd taken the step of confirming what my parents had promised in my baptism, I needed to keep alive this gift that God had given me. I needed to continue to live my life in Christ and all, all the days that God had given me ahead. So how can we do this? How do we keep our roots in Christ, remaining with him as our foundation? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you make coming to church a priority in your week? Or is it something you come to if your other commitments permit? How about meeting with others to study God's word together? How do you encourage others? In 1 Thessalonians, we read, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. Do you give thanks to God in all things, even when things are hard? Do you pray each day? Do you pray with other Christians? Well, there's an old chorus that some of you may have learned a long time ago, and it goes, Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Does anyone remember that one? Yeah, a couple. Well, we don't build our relationships with each other if we don't talk to each other. Likewise, if we're not connecting with God in prayer, we're not able to grow our relationship. And if we're not praying together as a church, our church is not growing in its relationship with God. And we'll continue to sit where we were when we were baptized. We read about the early church in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They continued to sit under the teaching of the apostles. There's always more to learn. Are we hungry to learn more from God's word? Well, for me, the experience of walking in Christ is to involve him in each part of my day and in each part of my life. Now, sometimes it doesn't go quite right, but I seek to engage him in the decisions that I make. When I'm feeling anxious, I look to him for help. When I'm feeling happy and content, I give thanks to God because he has enabled that for me. And so I treat, seek to engage Christ in all things that I do, not just when I come to church on a Sunday, 
but each day, each minute, each hour, seeking to be with Christ in all that I do, in all that I see, and in all that I say. Christ is sufficient. I need no one else because he's sufficient both for our salvation but also for our continuing on in faith. Well, why? Why is this important? In our lives, we get told lots of things. Initially by our parents, then by our teachers, and then by scientists, philosophers, economists, doctors, lawyers, politicians, and religious people about how we should live our lives. Everyone has an opinion and believes their view is the best and right one, of course. And a lot of what they tell us is good advice and it's worth listening to. But in this passage in Colossians, Paul warns the Colossians not to be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Some people who claim to be Christians view human experience above God's word. They acknowledge the divine, but live according to human perception and wisdom. They've moved away from Christ. They started off with seemingly innocuous, slight variations on the gospel, but over time find themselves a long way from the exclusive claims of Jesus. So it's important that you test everything that is said up the front here against God's word. Ensure that we do not stray from gospel truths. Paul is reminding us that unless the way we live is based on holding Christ as Lord of our lives, then we live deceived lives, not based on reality. But in Christ and through Christ, we can live the fullest of lives, no matter our circumstances, because Christ is sufficient. He has given us life through his death on the cross by reconciling us to God and giving us a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we can listen to the advice given us by experts and others, but we must always test that advice against what we know of Jesus. Does that advice stack up against living a life that is honoring to God? Does that philosophy enable us to have a relationship with God? We need not fear these things, though, because Paul assures us that Christ is the head of every ruler and authority. And so Paul takes us back to baptism. From verse 12, when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. Well, a while ago, I heard of a retired missionary who'd served faithfully in Africa. 
One day, she happened upon a small baptismal service. A fellow missionary took three new converts to the center of a shallow river and dug a hole in the sand so there would be enough water for the baptism. Even then, the new believers were forced to sit in the sand so there would be enough water to cover them for the important ceremony. The missionary telling the story saw what she'd expected. A few friends and family members gathered to watch. And the missionary in the river raised his hand, repeating familiar scriptures before baptizing the converts. When the first convert came out of, up out of the water, he began an excited and joyful time of shouting. The quiet service was silent, no more. The second convert did the same. And the final convert also came up from the shallow water shouting with joy. Afterwards, the missionary watching the process asked about the unusual tradition. Why all the shouting? I haven't been able to completely communicate in this tribe's language, said the younger missionary. They heard the scripture I gave them, but they didn't understand the symbolic nature of it. When I told them that they would be buried with him through baptism into death, and raised to walk in the newness of life, from Romans chapter 6. They actually thought that baptism would kill them. The people listening to the missionary chuckled as they heard the story, until the missionary froze them with her gaze. Let me ask you a question, she said. If you thought baptism would kill you, would you be willing to get in the river? These new converts knew the impact of believing in Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. So much so that they were willing to die for his sake. They subsequently knew with such joy and delight what it is to be alive in forgiveness and to be raised through faith. For those preparing for baptism, my prayer is that you too would know this same impact of Jesus in your lives as you die to self and are raised to life with Christ. And for those of us who were baptized a long time ago, may we not forget the saving power of Jesus and the transformative nature of salvation in our lives even now. In baptism, we also make the following promise. Will you each, by God's grace, strive to live as a disciple of Christ, loving God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself until your life's end? And we reply with, I will, with God's help. There will be things that come along in our lives that seek to pull us away from our faith in God, that seek to disrupt our relationship with Jesus. We don't need to move on to anything else to find fulfillment or satisfaction, for we have been filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.
Christ has authority over all things. If we truly believe that Christ Jesus is Lord, then we should remain centered in Christ in all things, knowing that he is indeed sufficient for all of life. Let's pray. God of all grace, guard these your servants whom you have called to your eternal glory in Christ. Confirm them by your spirit, sustain them by your word and sacrament. Fill them with all joy in your service and help them to live by faith, walk in hope, and be renewed in love until the world reflects your glory and you are all in all. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.